Thank you for tuning into the weekly sermon from Journey of Hope, a United Methodist community. We are a welcoming community that fosters belonging and acceptance. Through ministries, we enable individuals to transform their lives as they learn to follow Jesus Christ. We follow the guidance of the Spirit in sharing our faith through missional adventures, building relationships, and offering our witness to our community and world. We serve the Elgin, Illinois area and are located at the corner of Randall Road and Highland. To learn more about us, you can check us out at johumc.org or any of our social media platforms by searching Journey of Hope. And now, here is this week's message. Which is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 1 through 15. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on the journey, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Where are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man, a man named Ananias, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people, in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. May God bless the reading, hearing, and understanding of his word. Amen. 
Good morning. It's been a while since I've been up here. They need to be more practice. Um, I want to say something about the sermon today. It is not your typical sermon with three points and a story. Uh, I like that smile. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It is a style that I learned when I was in seminary, and it's called a first-person sermon. So I will be speaking as though I was Ananias and using it to help you understand what had happened to him and, most importantly, what had happened to Saul. Um, So I will be speaking as Ananias as a central speaker. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I thank you for inviting me here today to share what happened on the road to Damascus. I'm sure you all know the story well because it is part of your scriptures. But oftentimes it seems people look at it as just history and do not see it as a message from God. No, it is more than a bit of history. It is a powerful statement of what God is doing and how he is relating to the humans in a new and different way. Did you catch that? A new and different way? God's love was no longer limited to just the Jewish people. It was not limited just to those who could claim to be sons of Abraham and daughters of Abraham. I think John, when he was writing in his gospel, the last of the gospels to be written, he said it so well. You know the words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that those who believe in him should not perish. This is completely different from the world that Saul lived in. As a Jewish person and as a Pharisee, he believed very different things. God loved only the children of Abraham and especially those who followed the law. By the way, do not be confused about Saul and Paul. It's the same person. It's kind of like Bill and William. Saul was a Greek, it was a a Hebrew name. Paul was more of a Latin name. God knew what he was doing when he selected Saul, when he stopped him on that road of Damascus and says, I'm going to turn this guy around. Saul had perfect Jewish credential. He was a Jew of the Jews. You might say 
He was the perfect Jew. He represented what Jews believed, what God expected of his chosen people. Follow the rules. Oh, by the way, the book of rules was about this thick. And Saul knew how to follow them. And you could say he could probably chase his family back in Ancestry.com to Abraham. He knew all the rules backwards and forward, and he enforced them. He's what you would call a card-carrying member today. Part of the reason I was in Damascus was because of Saul. He had started persecuting the followers of the way. That is what they called the followers of Christ early on. And many of them, including myself, left Jerusalem because it became unsafe for us to stay there. He was skilled in the law. And he was also skilled at getting people riled up. You remember Stephen, don't you? He was one of the disciples. And he was stoned to death. And Saul was over there watching that, holding everybody's coats for him. And he had access to the highest powers in the Jewish religion. He could go to the high priest. In fact, that is why he was on the road to Damascus, because he got permission to round up all those followers of the way and have them arrested and brought back to Jerusalem to be tried and probably suffer the same end as Philip did. But something, something very unusual happened to him on his way to Damascus. It started when he decided to take his ministry a persecution up to Damascus and hunting down the followers so he could ship them back to Jerusalem. But something happened in a flash. And a voice from the heavens spoke out and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And this is where our story begins. Saul changes from a persecutor of the way to become one of its greatest supporters. The way is changed from a small sect in Judaism to spread throughout the Roman Empire and beyond. And this is where Saul became better known by his Roman name, Paul. As I look back, God knew what he was doing when he picked Saul. Other than the fact that he was causing a lot of trouble, it's easier to get him on our side than to have to deal with him all the time. But Paul, or Saul, had some very unique characteristics. First, he was a Roman citizen. 
In fact, he was a first-class Roman citizen. Number of times in the book of Acts, Paul gets hauled into jail and he says, oh, I'm a Roman citizen. Oh, they always say, excuse me, I'm sorry. He was protected by the law. He was not just your average Jewish person. Secondly, interestingly, I'm sure you all know he was a tent maker. Because of the fact that his family was tent makers, he knew that whole region because what his family did was travel around selling and repairing tents. And he had a mobile income. And he was someone who was expected to be there. He was not a suspicious person. Oh, there's, there's Saul the tent maker. Oh, good, I've got to bring my tent over and get it fixed. And Tarsus was halfway, kind of halfway between the, west, the east and the west. You got Rome way over here, and you got Jerusalem and the other places there, and where in the middle of it is, right on the main road, is Tarsus. And Paul could talk the language. We knew he spoke Hebrew because he was a Pharisee. They had to know how to speak Hebrew. He probably knew Aramaic, which was one of the common languages in that time. He would have known what's known as Koine Greek, which is the language of business. There's a good chance he knew Latin and probably another bunch of languages of the region. The change for Saul, the devout Jew, to Paul, the author, the evangelist, the church builder, began when he pulls up his stakes moving to Damascus with a letter to persecute the church. I have never seen anything like this, Luke said. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I want you to stop and think about it. Jesus is saying to Saul, these are my people. These are my people. Those who follow the way are his. Sometimes we miss this important lesson. Remember the story of Easter? You remember there were two thieves hanging on either side of Christ, and one of them said, Lord, remember me when you go to paradise. And Jesus said, I'll see you there. Think about that. This was not just a common crook. This was someone who was bad news. And Jesus said, I'll be waiting for you. As the story goes on, Jesus said to Ananias in a vision, go to Judah's house on Straight Street and ask for the man from Tarsus who is named Saul. He is praying. He did not have a whole lot of wiggle room on those instructions. First of all, 
how many people on Straight Street were named Saul and were from Tarsus. And he knew who this guy was. He knew he was trouble, big trouble. And he said, I know this man. He is the reason why I moved from Damascus in the first place. He could arrest me and send me back to Jerusalem on the spot. Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus said, go. This man is the agent I have chosen to carry my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. He is my chosen to carry my name, and this is important, the Gentiles, the kings, and the Israelites. If I can interpret to you that, it's all that world out there. He walks into the room, and there he is in a corner, just sitting there praying quietly. He couldn't make out what he was saying. I wonder what was going through his mind. But I remember he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus sent me. That one that you would see again. And two, that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. Yes, he took away his blindness. That was a good thing. But when he filled him with the Holy Spirit, that is something we as Christians know is, oh, this person is different now. God is now indwelling in that person. He got up and he asked to be baptized. I don't know if that makes him a Baptist or not. I don't think so. I think it was just to get baptized. Oh, get closer. He says, Paul saying, I'm getting too quiet here. Afterwards, they sat down and shared a meal. They must have been Methodists because they shared a meal. Next day, listen to what Saul does. He goes into Damascus and starts preaching about Jesus. Now, can you imagine what his fellow travelers were doing? They are probably scratching their heads and saying, what, what is going on here? You might say he did a giant U-turn. Many were asking what was going on. And the Jewish leaders were trying to hunt him down. In fact, we know from the text in Acts, later on, a part that we didn't read, they actually had to put him in a big basket and lower him over the wall in town. By the way, towns had walls back then. And they lowered him down, and someone was waiting on the other side to scoot him out and take him to Jerusalem. Stop for a minute and think what all this means. My friends, as I look back on this event, I began to understand when something when I saw something Paul wrote later to the church at Rome. He said, 
Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What had happened, more had happened to Saul on the way to Damascus was more than a name change. Do you realize he wrote almost a third of your scriptures of the New Testament? Those who followed Jesus and his disciples began to separate from Judaism, partly because he was not welcome in their houses of worship. And it became a movement across much of the Roman Empire and beyond. And the key to it is this word grace. It's an amazing grace. Paul knew it so well. It was not a bunch of rules that said, do this, do that, or you're out the door. But it said, you are welcome. God loves you. God cares for you. I'm reminded of something when it talks about do not be conformed, but be transformed. First, conformed is things that bind you. Rules. Break them. Those aren't really what God wants. But be ye transformed. And I'm reminded of a, of a little insect you have. It's called a, a butterfly. You know those beautiful little birds, things, things that are floating around now. I, I see them around. They start off as a fuzzy little caterpillar. And all that caterpillar does is eat, 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 and then it builds a cocoon. It gets wrapped up into something. And the next spring, it emerges from that cocoon into a beautiful butterfly. And the butterfly does two things. You see him going around flitting between plant to plant to plant. And what it is is doing cross-fertilization of the flowers and collecting some nectar for lunch. And the second thing it does, it lays eggs that will hatch out next spring and create new caterpillars. That is what transformation is all about. It's becoming something new and different. The lesson here is God loves everyone. And I could easily say with confidence that even those people that were tearing Damascus apart looking for Saul to throw him in jail. God loved them too. So what does this mean, being transformed by the renewing your mind? So what are we to take away from this? First, God loves all of the creation. This week, as you're about to go through your week, open your eyes. Take a look. 
You know, I, like, I kind of like look out this window here and I see all those cars going by. Yeah, they're not in here, but God loves them too. We read that Paul scales fell from his eyes. You know, sometimes we have scales on our eyes that we don't see people. They're there, but we don't notice them. Maybe because they're different. There is a broad diversity in God's people. I am lucky. I got to know a lot of people in my job. There were all kinds of people moving through our area. There were people from down down in Asia, coming up from Africa, coming across from Europe. All of them were different. They were rich, they were poor. Today, I hear you have people that can trace their family back to the Mayflower. Not sure what the Mayflower is, but, but I hear they can also trace it back to the people that greeted them when they arrived. There are people with fat wallets and those who only have loose change in their pockets. God sees each and every one as precious. Second, God wants to bring out the best in you. Talk about transformation. We call ourselves the journey of hope because you call yourself the journey of hope because, like Paul, you encountered God in your journey of life. It is a journey of change, like butterflies, transforming, becoming something new, touched by God, seeing God's creation with new eyes, seeing others the way God sees them. As John wrote in his gospel, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish. Now, I'm going to take off my pastor coat here. And I want to speak to you as a journey of hoper. You know, we're dealing with a change in our church. And I'm kind of lucky in a way that I've been a member at both congregations. A long time ago, we were at Wesley, and then Jen was offered a job at Epworth, and we became Epworthians. So I guess I'm a prototype for a journey of hope. We need to work constantly at becoming something new, that transformation. I don't know what it's going to look like, but if we work together, we'll find it. But there's more than that. I want to challenge you this week to look around and see all the people around you see people of different color, different nationalities, different education, different job skills, 
We need to become a place where whoever walks through that door, whatever they look like, they're welcome. Because that is what will build this church that will help us grow to become that transformed people Jesus talks about. Be with us each as we go to our own place. Help us to be aware of those around us. Help us to seek out the souls in our life that we might share your wonderful gospel with them, that we might share and care for them. Amen.